please stand to honor God's word. We're in 1 Corinthians 12. We'll go from verses 12 through 26. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 26. For just as the body, the human body, is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose If all were a single member, where would be the body? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable We bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Y'all can be seated as we pray. Lord, please add a supernatural blessing to the reading of your word. I confess, Jesus, standing on this stage, the guy preaching to your body, that I don't rightly cherish you or your, your body, the church, with the reverence that's appropriate to reality. So Lord, help me today to preach unto your standard and give me grace to grow unto the very thing that I'm preaching about today. Help us to see the church the way you see her gloriously and then to act appropriately with miracles, signs, and wonders. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. If you're visiting, thank you again for joining us. My name is Peter. I serve as the lead pastor of the Springs. We are in week seven of our series called The Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed was a creed formulated in the third century for Christians to, to have unity of message and mission. 
It was really utilized by God in the church to bolster the growth of the church the first several centuries amidst harsh persecution. And also utilized by the church to defend and articulate the reliability and the truth of Scripture. So that's why we're going through the creed little by little and and pointing out one topic that the creed points out at a time and teaching what Scripture says about that. So let's get to reading together the part of the creed that pertains to this week's passage. It's towards the end of the creed. Would you say it with me? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the communion of saints. Good job. I'm going to preach through our passage in 1 Corinthians 12, a message that has to do with all three of these topics. Can you bring that back up again? I believe in the Holy Spirit. You can leave that up for a little while. Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the communion of saints. Now, our passage, if you were paying attention just a little bit, you might, first thing you might see is, wait, it really pertains to this middle topic, the, the Holy Church, and that's true. I'm going to take a moment here before I go back through and teach through the passage to point out why it pertains to all of these things. Now, first of all, the Holy Church. Why do we say Holy Church instead of what was originally said, the Holy Catholic Church? The word Catholic in the original creed simply means the universal church, as opposed to our understanding, typically we think Catholic as the Roman Catholic Church. It just means Catholic, meaning universal church. I believe in the universal church, the power of God's bride at large, not just the Springs Church in San Marcos, Texas. That's what it means when we say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. The reason we omit that from our creed and other churches do is because I can remember that it means, the Holy Church means universal church and preach pertaining to the whole church, capital C, without having to unexplain what Catholic doesn't mean every week. So that's why we talk about the Holy Church, which this passage clearly teaches us to honor better and care for better, does it not? But here's why I say it relates to the other parts. The communion of saints. Let me say, there would be no church without what we celebrate in the communion of the saints. The communion of the saints isn't just a a ritual that we do together at the end of every service. The ritual that we do together is is a symbol that, that causes us to remember the only reason that we are truly united together. Not just sitting in the same room, but because of what Jesus did on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin and to wash us by his blood. And because of his life that he lives today, he rose again from the dead. He brings us into relationship with himself. It's it's what we remember as we go to communion every week. But it's it's the very thing that we have faith in. Communion of the saints is a state of relationship that we have with God the Father and with His Son and with one another. It's the only reason that we can enjoy church. We have the Holy Church because we remember what He's done. We we, we celebrate in the communion of the saints. Now this passage not not just also uh, relates to the Holy Spirit as well, but I would say it first and foremost talks of the Holy Spirit. Let me explain why. The greater context of this passage, 
So the very start of chapter 12, and the, the whole part of our passage and the few chapters afterwards pertains to Holy Spirit gifts, spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to the body. That's actually the, the greater context of the passage where we're reading about caring for the body. Don't, don't look down on yourself. Don't look down on the gift of other people. This is in context of the Holy Spirit. Verse 1 of chapter 12 starts out like this. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant or uninformed. In church, I desperately don't want us to be ignorant about the gifts of the Holy Spirit either. When we understand that, uh, like verse 13 says, that we're, we were all baptized, meaning brought into, immersed into, brought into the body, we remember this by the communion of the saints, that we're one together, but we live this out and we grow in it and we multiply this power of being one body only by the spirit of the living God. And so when, he, when, the, when, the, when Paul the Holy, and the Holy Spirit, at the end of chapter 12, the start of chapter 14, at the end of chapter 14, commands us three times, earnestly desire the greater gifts. So our passage today is, is cherish the gift that you have and serve other people with it. Care well for the body. And then the rest of the context says, earnestly desire the greater gifts. I'm here to argue that these two messages are not separate. They're one message. Our greater context of this whole chapter is that we must earnestly desire miracles, signs, and wonders. The greater gifts, every gift that the, that the Holy Spirit gave is every gift that the Holy Spirit gives today. And why? It's to care well for the body of Christ. So our passage might mostly pertain to that second part. How do we rightly cherish the body as one unified thing instead of just pieces? How do we care for the body, especially people that are different than us? That's what our passage is about, caring well for the body. Well, that's the same question as asking, how can we desire more the gifts of the Holy Spirit? honoring the person of the Holy Spirit. Anyone who says that those are two separate things is not only uninformed, as verse 1 says, but is not caring well for the body. Church, we want to care well for the body. And that means honoring the Holy Spirit, cherishing the gifts that he gives us, and yearning for more. Amen? That's how you can do your part to care for the body. So here's how I want to teach through our passage, knowing this context. I want to serve a warning, a warning about two main diseases that can get in, into the body sometimes that this passage is talking about, warning about. Two diseases of the body, deficiency at the first part of our passage, and the wrong kind of sufficiency at the end of our passage. Deficiency and sufficiency. So first of all, if you are to rightly utilize the spiritual gifts that God has given you, turn to your neighbor and say, I have a gift. Now, if you're to rightly utilize that gift, which is the same thing as saying, if you are to care well 
for the body of Christ and to do your part that God has assigned you to beautify the beautiful, the bride of Christ. If you're to do your part and if you're to use your gift well, then you must stand against and beware of deficiency. Deficiency. Deficiency says of self, I am deficient. My gift is deficient. It's, it's worthless. Start of our passage, verse 15. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And beloved, if you are to say, I'm not important, it doesn't make you unimportant. It makes you squander your importance. Many of you all know, or some of you all at least know, that tonight is game one of the Eastern Conference Finals in the NBA. I'll be watching it. Um, We all know who Kyle Korver is, right? Okay, two people know who Kyle Korver is. And that's the point. Kyle Korver knows who Kyle Korver is and that he's important to his team. He plays on the Cleveland Cavaliers. He knows he's important to his team. And if he fails to understand that, his whole team suffers. Now, let's just say that uh, he decided today to, to just not lace up his shoes. Right? He got like a bad attitude and said, because I'm not LeBron James, I'm not a part of this team. That would hurt his team. And you know what? It wouldn't make him any less a part of the Cleveland Cavaliers. It would just make him a, dif- a, a, a difficult, a, a, um, a bad teammate. It would make him a, a man that's, that's not doing well as a member of the team that he's inseparably a part of. And that's such a moment of importance. Don't be a bad teammate. You're an important teammate. Maybe before today, you didn't see that. But by the Spirit of God, He is showing you your importance today so that you can play the role that you've been designed to play. The role that the enemy is afraid of you really playing. The role that I can't play and that I need and that the person next to you isn't as gifted as you are to play for such a time as this. For something more important than the Eastern Conference Finals. I've spent too much of my life and my ministry career comparing myself to the LeBron Jameses of ministry. And far too little time saying, God, what gift have you given me? And how can I earnestly desire to do my best to use it to do all that I can before I die to beautify what you've already called beautiful, to strengthen and to build up your precious body. I've wasted too much of my time, and I want to just say right now, no more. I'm not deficient. Jesus says this in, in, in John 4. He, he tells all of us that anyone who believes in him is like a well of, of living water springing up to eternal life. You are a spring. 
you have certain ability to spring forth life and prophetic power that the person next to you doesn't have. And our church name is not the spring, but plural, the springs. That's our name. We are not us without you. If you can lock into what God has given you and to steward it well and to say, God, give me boldness to use this against the enemy and for the good of my friend and my brother and sister in Christ to build them up, to silence the voice of the accuser in their life. Watch what we can do together. Deficiency says of self, I'm deficient. And it says to others, you don't need me. And that's just flat out wrong. Verse 17 goes on. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? I know a few people that have lost their sense of smell. And from my understanding, when you lose your sense of smell, it's a slow thing that you don't sense you're losing the senses. That's the point. It's, a, it's usually kind of a, a gradual breakdown of the olfactory system where you kind of taste or smell or both. Or just You're not noticing that you're not sensing as much. And I think that's a lot how it works with the body of Christ. When there's certain pieces that we start to miss, it's so easy to get used to just life as if without those things that it's, it's okay. Well, the crazy thing is this, maybe we could kind of technically exist the way we are without these other elements that God has designed for us, but we're not meant to just exist the way we are. We're meant to, to celebrate who we are, but to thrive and grow and touch other people's lives and be more than, than we already are because we're locking into what God's given us and, and enjoying who he's call, calling us to become. When we don't when we just kind of sit back and, and isolate ourselves with these feelings of deficiency, it causes us to, to shrink away from where God is leading us by the hand. You have a part to play. You have an important gift in the body. If you believe in Jesus, you are not deficient. You're important. You're necessarily important. Great damage is done to the body of Christ by believers who neglect the gift that they have as if it were deficient and who are therefore reluctant to use the gift I have and to earnestly desire for God to give me more anointing and more power. I, I long for a, an ability for us to, to all cherish better the different pieces that God's given us. As it relates to spiritual gifts, I believe there are two main abuses of spiritual gifts. Misuse and neglect. Now, the first one, anyone can point out misuse. Like, oh, this is, look at this weird stuff that these people are doing on YouTube. And they call themselves a church, and they're doing these weird stuff, and they're swinging from chandeliers and doing all weird stuff. I understand, like, any of those things can be pointed out when people are misusing the gifts, but I think far more common is people who may or may not react. Maybe they react to those people, and they get self-righteous, like, hey, I'm not a weird, kooky, charismatic like that. 
So I'm going to be self-righteous in my neglect of the spiritual gifts. And the Holy Spirit's saying, no, I'm not co-signing on that. It's It's another abuse of the Holy Spirit's gifts. It grieves this person who wants to empower us to grow in who he is. It grieves him. I believe that when we succumb to this spirit of this, this disease of deficiency, this lie, we start to neglect the gift that we have. This is the abuse that's really manifest in, our, in this mindset. Neglect. Neglect. Deficiency says, I'm deficient, and it says to others, you don't need me, and then we start to neglect the gift that we have. Let me point out, I don't mean to embarrass her, but I do mean to honor her because you need to see sometimes uh, things that we don't typically see. Laura, can you wave at everyone in the back? Laura shows up every week at 9 a.m. to pray for you. Our prayer team never has a microphone. Melissa leads our prayer, our prayer team. They pray for our worship team. They pray for our youth groups. We, we pray for a, every week we pray for a, a different group of people in the world that have not yet known Jesus, an unreached people group. I wish I could explain to you the type, uh, oh, they pray for me too. I wish I could, I could explain to you the, the type of power I feel when I'm covered by prayer. I can't explain it. It's, it's better than what can be explained with my words, and that's the point. Uh, I think it's 2 Corinthians 5 says, the unseen things are eternal. The seen things are temporary. There are unseen things happening by believers who understand, hey, my gift, maybe it's not singing like others can, but it's necessary. It's not deficient. What would the church look like if all of us with our gifts says, I'm going to use this to be dangerous against the enemy. So my gift is interceding and praying. I will do it with power. I will know that I am important. I am necessary. What would, what will our church look like? And what will the holy church look like? When believers start to see, God, you've made me this way, and I am going to wear it like a beautiful garment, or whatever male equivalent of that would be. (laughs) Correction in Scripture of this mindset is seen in verse 18. But as it is, God has arranged the members of the body each one as he chose. As it is. This has been ministering to me a lot this week because the last several weeks I've been kind of complaining like, God, are we, are we okay kind of as we are? We've, we've sent out so many people to do things elsewhere, but you've called us to do this in our area here. And I don't know if I am, uh, have, have what it takes to do what you've called me to lead. And I've, these doubts come up in my mind. Do you ever get these doubts? Yes, you do. And the Lord tells me when I'm doing things like this, like, Peter, this isn't humility. I don't make mistakes, Peter. This is about my name. 
You see, when, what happens when we have this, we succumb to these feelings of deficiency? When I say to God, God, what you've given me is deficient, I'm, I'm also saying to God, God, you don't make good things. When I say, God, I'm deficient, I'm saying, God, you are incompetent. Listen, God is not incompetent. God is wise. God only makes beautiful things. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're beautiful. I turn back to who just said that and say, I know it's mostly God's fault. <laughs> you can say it. The thing about deficiency or the next one we're going to mention, both this, this idea at the start where, where the, the gift is of, my gift is looked down on and I, I compare myself to others and I see myself as, as lesser, or what we'll see in a minute, when we see our gift as the only important one, what both of these things do is they isolate you. That's why before it gets to the, the next one here, verse 19 and 20 talk about if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And that's the point. If you went out on the street after church and you saw a hand on the road just alone, right? You'd be traumatized. Some of y'all would lose your lunch. Well, breakfast. This would be traumatic. You'd call the police. It's not right to see a hand out on it. There is something wrong there. But we get way too used to seeing this sort of thing in the body of Christ, where people are alone either because they're in a a state of self-pity or they're alone because they're in a state of self-sufficiency. It's this next one. The other rampant disease in the body is this wrong kind of sufficiency. It says of self, I am self-sufficient. Now, here's the correction to that. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need. Well, it should say y'all because it's to the feet. I have no need of you guys. Here's the thing about how it relates to the gifts of the body. You You might not admittedly need the other gifts in this room, everyone look around, the beautiful diversity in the seen things. But what about the unseen things? You might not need the unseen gifts of the other people in this room to carry on with life as you know it. But maybe that's the point. Maybe God has something, not maybe, God has something so much better for you than life as you know it. He has something so much better for you. Let me illustrate this. Without gasoline, a car, an automobile, does just fine to provide you shelter from the rain. You can sleep in it at night. In fact, for that matter, you don't need wheels or headlights or even an engine. Your car could do just fine to provide you shelter from the rain. Do we agree about this? But listen, a car is not made to provide you shelter. A car is made to get you places. 
And listen, church, we have things to do and places to go and an adventure to live together. And there is more than maybe just what we're used to and the gifts that we have. You actually do need other people in this room if you know it or you don't know it because God's taking us to different places that maybe we weren't ready to go to, but he is preordained for us to walk in. Maybe you don't technically need others in your life to confess sin to, to challenge you, to to rub you the wrong way, to to bother you in a sanctified manner. You maybe don't need other people in your life intimately in your stuff to be able to live an industrious life, to have a relatively happy marriage, to have 2.5 kids and a white picket fence or whatever. But God has called you for more than just the American stinking dream. He's called us to a glorious, multiplying lifestyle that's way better than what we tend to settle for. Sufficiency says of itself, I'm self-sufficient. It's a lie. And it says to others, I don't need you. Instead of saying, you don't need me, this lie says, I don't need you. But that's simply not true. Verse 22, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Everyone say, indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. This word modesty uh, can be translated elegance or charm. The things that we don't think are as beautiful or as cool as, uh, as, as presentable, God puts in the spirit, he puts greater elegance and charm. And in the original languages of these verses, Paul takes pains with these, what English translate as the parts that seem less honorable or that we think don't have as much value. It's actually in the original language too. Because sometimes we think something's not as valuable, but that, honestly, sometimes the, th- the things that we think aren't as much needed are exactly what we need. The people that you kind of like, whether it's what you think is a political reason or, or other reasons that you kind of, it's less comfortable for you to, to connect with people. Maybe they have different ways of seeing life, a different gift than you. They're different than you, and it causes discomfort for you to relate deeply to them. That might be exactly the person you need in your life to bring you the sanctified discomfort to grow you in a way that you couldn't grow yourself. And God is so wise that he's given you people that seem unimportant, but are actually the opposite for you to grow and to go where God's leading you. Sufficiency says of itself, I'm self-sufficient. Of others, I don't need you. And the main abuse of spiritual gifts that God's given me is misuse. God gives me a gift and when he gives a spiritual gift, primarily, it's to build others up, not just to, to kind of squander the grace of God that he's given me to be self-sustaining. God gave us more power than to just be kind of get by on our own a little bit. With the exception of the gift of tongues, I think pretty much every gift is meant to be pointed towards others and to edify others You have a need, whether you see it or not, to serve others. 
The correction in Scripture for this false view of sufficiency is seen in verse 24. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. See, God will rearrange things and provide sanctified discomfort in your life because this is about not simply him honoring the things that you tend to dishonor or to not see as, as important, but it's about his own honor. Our passage ends with these two verses. Pay close attention. That there made, that God does all these things. He, he squashes this false view of deficiency or self-sufficiency. He does all this in the body that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member rejoices, we all rejoice together. Isn't this a weird correlation? He says, he doesn't want division. Division, bad. So so what's the next part? What's the subordinate clause of that sentence? That That we may have care for one another. So what this tells me is, if I'm not rightly utilizing my gift, seeing it as important, and not just using it on myself for self-sufficiency, but using it to build up others. If I'm not rightly utilizing my gift, then I'm actually passively or actively playing a part in division. Because I'm not using the offensive or defensive weapons that God has given me in the gifts of the Holy Spirit to wage war against the, the enemy who would cause division. I'm not strengthening. I'm allowing for weaknesses to flourish. But God has so composed the body that he's given us all a gift. We're meant to cherish what we have and hunger for more. Cherish what we have and hunger for more. This is a great mystery. Satisfied hunger. Jesus is the only person that can satisfy me at the deepest level and yet give me a greater hunger. That's why he tells us, don't think that what you have is unimportant. Use it to serve others so that division might not flourish. And then he says, and then look for more. Earnestly desire the greater gifts, especially that you would prophesy. And when we have this type of of satisfied hunger, The prophetic power that comes out of a people like this is undeniable. So in conclusion, both deficiency and sufficiency, these two diseases, are rooted in what I would call probably the most fatal of sins, and that is pride. Deficiency might not seem like it's rooted in pride, but it's isolating it leaves, it leaves you to focus on yourself, to focus on maybe what you're lacking. But when you focus on what you're lacking, you're not focusing on honoring God and making disciples. You wrongfully think, man, my gift is, is deficient. You don't need me. And after a while of languishing in self-pity, you add a little accusation to your misinformation. Instead of just saying, you don't need me, you also start to add to that, well, you don't do enough for me. That's how it looks. It's pride. It's isolating and it repels others. And then self-sufficiency is also isolating. You can't believe the lie of self-sufficiency as if you could do just fine on your own as a Christian and also honor God and make disciples. 
You can't do that. It's impossible. You wrongfully think, I don't need you. I'm good on my own. And you easily can get to, I don't need to serve you either. That's also a lie. And it's pride. And here's our hope. Our hope is that Jesus, the Son of God, was tempted strongly by both of these lies and yet overcame both of them. See, Jesus, Jesus didn't just have to war with, with uh, the lie of self-sufficiency. In, in all actuality, he was fully self-sufficient. He considered equality with God, which he had in eternity past, totally didn't need us. He had good relationship and self-sustaining power and provision in his relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He didn't need us. He didn't need to create us. He, and yet he thought that that state of equality with God, not something to be grasped onto, but he lowered himself, taking on the form of a servant. What kind of conquering king does something like this? This is out of the world. He, he, he just didn't just stop there. He lived a perfect life and he lowered himself to the lowest point of death for our sin, even death on a cross. He said it's better to give than to receive, and he gave his whole life. And he was in a state of emptiness so that we could be filled. In that state of emptiness, he got all sorts of accusations. You're, you're just a, a, a silly king. They, they spit on him. Oh, you're, you're a king? Then save us. Save yourself. And he didn't give in. He never languished for a moment in self-pity in that place. Remember, he's the one who said, the meek shall inherit the earth. But in, in his, he didn't confuse meekness for weakness, I heard someone say. He didn't think that meekness was a state of deficiency. He knew that there was a secret power behind him laying down everything. Because he's the one who was the meekest of all, and he, he inherited the whole earth. He bought a people for himself that were called to himself. So that because of what Jesus did in overcoming these two lies, we can be together in a state of glorious interdependency. Not, not codependency, where your weakness makes me weaker and my weakness makes you weaker. But we build each other up with our strengths not despising our weaknesses, but seeing them as ordained by God to build each other up and to cause prophetic miracles to rise from our midst. We have a place of sufficiency in Jesus and ability to, to make war against our sin that he's already forgiven if we would be together. Would you stand with me, please?